right, live from Studio 6B on a Monday night, getting the week started. New week, glad you're in. Rick Delgado's here with the news. Mr. Delgado, how are you? I am doing well. How about yourself, Damon? Pretty good. How was your weekend? Uh, very good, actually. Okay, very good. Very warm. I enjoyed it. I was on my bike every single day. Lawn work, you know, stuff around the house, a little basket. It was a full weekend. Yeah, sounds like a blast. Uh, Rick Emirati's <laughs> here. First of all, how are you? Hey, Big D, how are you? I love the hat tonight, Rick Emirati. It was very, hat. very slick. That's right. That's slick. in honor of Prince's birthday today, June oh. 7th. Okay, now, is, the, is that jacket, um, is that one outfit, or did you put that together? This is actually a suit, Big D. Pants, the whole bit. The sh- okay. The whole nine. How was your weekend? Fantastic. I OD'd on Prince Podcast. Had a great time. <laughs> Saw some great, great golf say. this weekend and yeah. a big boxing match last night. We got okay. a lot to report on. We're loaded. Okay. What you didn't see is a lot of good basketball from your team. <laughs> uh, no. What a comeback, though. One for the ages. It, they were down 26. They came roaring back. But you know what they say? It only counts in horseshoes, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Uh, very good. Well, my weekend was fine, too. It was 100 degrees here Saturday and Sunday around New York. It was uh, just insane. It's we go from forty eight two weekends ago to ninety nine. It's just yeah. crazy. So, did either of you see the um, former president? Uh, who could miss him in North Carolina? He was all over the place. Well, I saw some of it, and I thought he was fine. Yeah, I thought he was good. You know, it's funny. My Twitter was just filled with because um, I try to not live in an echo chamber. I guess that's why. So I follow, you know, people who thought Trump was the devil or whatever. And just my Twitter was filled with, um, oh, man, he's really fallen off since he left. You could really see this um, as if he was Joe Biden, this cognitive (laughs) decline. It was really uh, his pants were on background. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And I just, I went, I actually went back and watched some of it again because I I thought maybe I was just, maybe I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid. Well, he seemed fine. He's funny. On point. Good messaging. Yeah. I mean, did you? I, mean, I, I didn't. I didn't see any anything that that would lead me to think he's off his game. Yeah, you know, if anything, he, he's been out of limelight for a little bit. He's starting, as you see, he's starting to do a little bit more media. He's calling into shows, so he seems to be ramping up. I think he's using this as like kind of a kind of a you know exhibition game before the uh, the rallies start again because he says he's going to be doing rallies. Not only that, he says he's going to maybe. Well, I don't know if he said it, but there's a story out that says he may hit the road with Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, and do some some I guess some kind of town halls or some kind of question and answer to an audience theater, um, you know, couple thousand seat theater uh, tour or something. Did you see that? Yep, saw that as well. I think that's a good idea. The rallies are anything's a good any anything's a good idea right now, and he seemed fine. Yeah, he seems to be uh, dropping a lot of bombs, I feel like. (laughs) You know, in terms of, you know, know, there will be a next time when he was referring to the White House. I heard that. Um, Just, you know, talking about uh, alluding to election stuff. Then he had a a couple surrogates out there. I think it was uh, Bernard Kirk who was out there saying some stuff today as well with Bannon. Okay, I didn't see that. I did see a, a little audio clip of him on the president, former president on with um, Stuart Varney this morning. Yes. He made a little news there. Of course, the, the real, you know, mainstream, conser- real heavy-duty conservatives 
when they hear he says, oh, I think about DeSantis as a running mate. They said, well, yeah, it should be the, <laughs> should be the reverse. He should think about you as the running mate. They're heavy, heavy duty push here for DeSantis. Um, but I don't know. No, I, I think we got to still, I think time's on our side. Yeah. As much as we don't think that because living in um, Joe Biden's monarchy here is just a disaster, obviously. But I think time is on our side to make these decisions. But as we always talk about, the Republicans have got to, um, they got to, they got to be ready to play ball. That's what they got to ready to do. So let's start with, we've talked a little bit about what happened this weekend. Let's talk about what didn't happen this weekend, or at least didn't happen on Sunday or today. And that's the current president of the United States acknowledging or commemorating the 77th anniversary of D-Day. And um, we'll get to Saki in a second, her pathetic answer today. And I mean pathetic. This is just a head scratcher. It's hard to imagine if you work at the White House. I, I hear people saying, oh, I mean, I hear all kinds of things today. Oh, you overlooked it, forgot about it. Well, how could you? For- <laughs> what are you talking about? There's no way you could have forgotten about it or overlooked it. This, there's no way this is not intentional. That, that's the, really the point. Is there any way that this is not intentional? Of course not. How could it not be? You work at the White House. There's thousands of people there, hundreds of people uh, all, all around. I mean, number one, how do you overlook that? Number two, it would last about five seconds before someone would remind you, right? Yeah. They have people employed. Their, their job is to make sure that all the boxes are ticked, you know, for, for the guy who's in charge, supposedly, so that he always has everything ready. He, he always knows things. He always, hey, remember, we got this today. We got that today. We got, th- th- there's a rundown. They, they know he can't handle any of this. I, I, I would say, you know, basically anybody who's had the job has had people sit there going, look, here is the list of stuff that we need to make sure we cover. Because yes. they, they can't be expected to remember every single detail. Uh, sir, here's one of the more uh, prolific, historic, and um, honored days in military history. You might want to remember it. <laughs> right. I kind of you, a big oh, deal. No, Happens every year. I mean, it's, it's just incredible that people think this is not intentional. Of course it was intentional. Saki's asked about it today. This is, this, is, this is unbelievable, this answer. Cut seven. Jay, roll it. And then just quickly a housekeeping thing. Presidents Bush, Obama, and Trump all commemorated D-Day anniversaries on D-Day, on the D-Day anniversary. Why didn't President Biden? Well, I can tell you that certainly the uh, val- his value for the role that men and uh, the men who served uh, on D-Day uh, and the memory of them, uh, the families who have uh, kept their memories uh, alive over the course of years on this day is something the president has spoke to many, many times in the past. Um, it's close to his heart, uh, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more we would have to say on it. Okay, well, it's close <laughs> to his heart. That's not an well, answer. If it's close to his heart, then how was he silent on the day? Not a social media post, not a word, not a video. They could have produced a little teleprompter something there. I mean, think yeah. about all the stupid videos we saw of this idiot in the election, him standing outside when, the, when Trump didn't lower the flag to half-mast. There, there he is, somebody with a cell phone making some stupid video of Joe. He can't find five seconds to make a video about this or something? Not even that. It, just noting it, say, on his Twitter account. We all know he's not punching it in. 
You know, you would think, okay, who's in charge of the White House Twitter? Oh, I am. All right, make sure you cover this, 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 and this today. Okay. Well, obviously, it was intentionally left off, or else you would have seen it pop up, and people are like, oh, see, it was on his Twitter account. Of course. this. I mean, it's so, it's so obvious. Their disdain for our great military, which is what it comes down to. It's the same reason that without thinking about it, you know, the, the, the truth always lies in the first... You know, when people show you who they are, believe them, the old saying, when we went into Memorial Day weekend, what did we get from the vice president? Oh, enjoy the three. Hey, enjoy the long weekend, everybody. Because that's what was in, that was, that's what she, that was her initial thought. That's real. This is their disdain for the military of this country is what this is really all about. It's absolutely on purpose. They don't want to have to acknowledge this. And I don't know how anyone can argue anything differently. Enjoy the long weekend, she said. Well, I, I just can't understand how, how Ducey let her go with that as the answer. It's like, okay, that's great, but you didn't answer my question. Why didn't he acknowledge it? You know, you said it's close to his heart. That's great, but that's not my question. I didn't ask, where is it on his body? How does he feel about it? I didn't ask that. I said, why didn't he acknowledge it? Answer, please. Oh, that's all you got to do. And, and then she'd stammer, and, be, and she'd probably be like, well, uh, uh, I've already talked about that. It's close to his heart, and we may ha- What did she say? Play that one more time, G. Cut 7. Roll that. And then just quickly, a housekeeping thing. Presidents Bush, Obama, and Trump all commemorated D-Day anniversaries on D-Day, on the D-Day anniversary. Why didn't President Biden? Well, I can tell you that certainly the uh, val- his value for the role that men and uh, the men who served uh, on D-Day uh, and the memory of them, uh, the families who have uh, kept their memories uh, alive over the course of years on this day is something the president has spoke to many, many times in the past. Um, it's close to his heart, uh, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more we would have to say on it. Well, like when? <laughs> Next D-Day? When, when are you going to have more to say on it? What What is... Is this uh, like an ongoing thing? It happened, it was Sunday. Maybe about five minutes or so. We'll just wait. And why do... Oh, he's spoken about it in the past. Well, when? <laughs> he's, been in, he's been around for a hundred years. Where, where? Where are you talking about? And how, does that, how is that an excuse? We've listened to... How many clips have we played of this guy talking to the military? Ah, oh, you're a boring brunch. Come on, you yeah. laugh, you dumb bastard. I mean, we've heard this guy. We know what his feelings are for the military. We know what her feelings are for the military. We know what their feelings are for the police, by the way. So don't, don't try to run this up the flagpole like it's, oh, you're, they're all so special to you. And you just happen to, well, we'll get to it. Well, we may have more. Oh, you may have more to say. When? <laughs> we may have more to say. And there's people arguing that this is not... A, I mean, I don't know. I guess the audience can weigh in. Is this a big deal to you? It should be, I think. You have, you have family members who served this country? You have family members who lost their lives serving this country? Do you have relatives who were alive then, maybe served then? Well, we have, we'll have more to say maybe. Oh, it's so dear to his heart. He talked about it in the past. Oh. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that uh, the events uh, that shaped everything happening from that day forward, I think it affected all of us, everyone in the country, e- e- even even slow Joe. 
made it possible for him to achieve what he's achieved. Because if that doesn't go well, we don't know what we're looking at. I don't want to hear people tell me that also, though, well, they just, it was just a little, you know, they just handled it wrong. No, no, they didn't. They didn't handle it wrong. They didn't handle it sloppy. It wasn't any, it was intentional. The same way that everything they do is intentional, well thought through, and comes from a place of, well, pretty much evil. That's what this is. This is a deliberate slap in the face to the military, just as he, he thinks about them the same way he talks to them. We've seen it on multiple occasions. And it's the same way his whole damn party feels, including his vice president, about, the, about, any, about the police and any, any, any law enforcement, military. Total disdain for all of them. That's the truth of it. That's the, that's the only truth of it. Nothing else. Now we forgot. Now he talked about it before. Now we may have more. To, we may have more to say. Oh, I may have more to say too. Come back at 11 p.m. I may have more to say. Seventeen past the hour, live from Studio Six B on a Monday. Glad you're in. Rick Emirati's going to have sports. Rick Delgado's here, sitting in for Paul, who's at the Islander game or watching the Islander game or something with the Islanders tonight. What's the score of that game, Rick? Four to two, uh, right between the second and third period. Islanders unloaded two quick goals at the end, oh, wow. and uh, they're looking good. So they're looking to go ahead three games to two. Pivotal game five, Big D in okay. Boston, TD Garden. Yep, very very pivotal game five. Uh, let's do some news with Rick Delgado. Uh, what's going on, Mr. Delgado? All right. Well, Damon, uh, I know we were speaking about the former president just a little while ago. Well, turns out there's a, an exclusive coming out of uh, New York Post. Uh, Trump, Donald, President Trump, actually wanted to uh, publicly grill Dr. Fauci on Wuhan lab funding and build China for the pandemic. This coming from a uh, uh I guess a book that's coming out. Yeah, it's called What Really Happened in Wuhan. Uh, President Trump wanted to halt Dr. Anthony Fauci in front of a presidential commission to give evidence about funding the Wuhan laboratory suspected of leaking COVID-19. Advanced plants were underway for the special presidential panel with an executive order even drawn up to hold China and its collaborators accountable and tally a reparations bill to fire off to Beijing. Trump's senior advisors... Uh, senior advisors talked him out of the idea as it was about to be announced, according to insider accounts detailed in a soon to be released book, which I just mentioned. It's called What Really Happened in Wuhan. I think um, I think if you have one sticking point with the Trump administration and President Trump. And there's not many. But if you have one huge one that if he were to run again. I think he would probably is is. How much power that little quack quack ended up with? Yeah. And how little he was ever challenged. So to, to hear this is interesting because I guess better late than never that he realized it and he wanted to put him on the hot spot, I guess it sounds like at some point. But 
This is while he was still president, you're saying yeah. this happened? While yeah. he was still president. I guess he had sniffed it out, like you mentioned. You know, we all kind of, we all kind of, you know, were kind of onto the Fauci yeah. pretty early on. And since he was, you know, kind of had a, a, an up close view of him, he probably sniffed it out as well. And another bombshell revelation from the book. But why? I'm sorry, okay. before you go on, but yeah. why didn't he sniff it out earlier is my question. Is really the thing I think if you, if you have a gripe, right? Um, is. Is that with President Trump that they wasn't on this little weasel quicker? Number one, that he he so much he ended up with really so much power. Not, I mean, I'm not blaming the president single handedly that he was like, okay, here you can go do right. whatever you want. But still, it just seems like he he had a lot of rope. He deferred a bunch. Yeah, he had a long lot of rope. He gave this guy where um, I feel like. I feel like we were on him and other people were on this guy going, wait a second here with this guy. Even sooner than, I mean, he was still coming into the briefing room as part of the, and we were going. Yeah. So I, I, that's maybe one of my only gripes is, is, is that. Well, it was like, like, because he's the medical professional, you figure, you know what? This is the guy who's going to have, he's, he's, you know, he's supposed to be the expert. Yeah, but he's so good. It, I mean, he, he can tear you down and find out who you are in about, you would think, about 10 seconds. Right. Especially when he's in a room of people. He knows. Yeah. Well, like I said, it, it was uh, senior advisors to the president actually talked him out of it. And you wonder who those senior advisors were. Yeah. Can we get some names on who that is? Right. Who was still thinking that, again, who still had some rope to, with this guy? Who's, uh, let's cut him a little. I mean, who's saying that at this point? Well, not anymore, but but back then, maybe the, maybe he still had some people on his side saying, no, no, you know, it could be, it could be. We have to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, the whole benefit of the doubt thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in another bombshell revelation from the book, United States officials suspected China had developed the vaccine. Huh? Yeah, they developed the vaccine for COVID-19 prior to the outbreak, with the claims included in a sensitive but unclassified internal report. The bo- book also reveals... Whose book is this? Um, it's called What Really Happened in Wuhan. Um, I'd have to click this link to see who the author is, and I don't want to get off the story. Right, well, go ahead. I'll, I'll look um, As I mentioned, the other revelation that President Biden scrapped a push by the State Department's Arms Control Verification and Compliance Unit to formally confront China in Geneva over its COVID-19 cover-up and potential breaches of the Biological Weapon Convention in the Wuhan lab. And in a revelation set to embarrass the intelligence community, United States intelligence agencies sought advice on whether the virus was zoonotic derived from bats or could have had a laboratory origin from the very scientists who had spent 15 years working closely with the Wuhan Laboratory, uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology, including EcoHealth Alliance's Peter Dazak and University of North Carolina's Dr. Ralph Barrick. Both names we've heard recently in the last couple of weeks. The officer of director, the office of the director of national intelligence, later published a statement saying COVID-19 was not man-made and cannot have been genetically manipulated. Uh, Sherry Markson, who I actually follow on Twitter, who's actually very good. So that's that's a real, that's a legitimate read. Then that's no, um, there's no tinfoil hat stuff there. She's the investigative reporter at the Australian Sky News. Uh, she has a, I think she has a daily or weekly show there, um, as well. I follow her on Twitter. She's a good follow. 
Sky then, News. Well, I mean, how many clips of Sky News have I showed you? I mean, they, there's <laughs> they're fabulous. You can't even get news like that in America. Yeah, I mean, it's them. just they're right to. I mean, there's no Perfect. punches pulled. It's just straight to the facts. So uh, no, she's. I, that's a good read. Then I'll have to get that because yeah, we'll have to see what more comes out of it. Again, the book hasn't come out yet, but it's coming out very soon. So we'll see what else comes out of it. Uh, if you were paying attention, well, Kamala Harris is finally doing something. She took a trip out to Guatemala. And as luck would have it, Vice President Kamala Harris, her much-anticipated foreign policy trip, was greeted with people and signs. Yes, the foreign policy trip to Guatemala to meet with the leaders there about what can be done to stem the influx. (laughs) She was met with these signs. Kamala, go home. Trump won. Um... (laughs) <laughs> Again, to, to stem the influx of the in- illegal immigrants that are crossing into the U.S. from that country. It got off to a bad start with Air Force Two having to turn around first for a technical issue and then being greeted by the pro-Trump, anti-Biden Guatemalan protesters. Uh, Harris shook off the mid-air scare, telling reporters that she deplaned and was all said in a little prayer, but we're all good. And then boarded a new plane, taking the four and a half hour flight to Guatemala. Waiting for her were the protesters at the Guatemalan Air Force Base uh, with open arms and big signs. Uh, One sign simply stated, Kamala, Trump won. Another told the vice president that Guatemala was pro-life and another want her to just go home. Uh, Harris has been the focus of ridicule by the Republican members of Congress, like Florida Republican Scott Franklin, for not directly addressing the border crisis, even as President Joe Biden appointed her to take full control addressing the immigration issue along the southern border with Mexico. Harris has yet to hold any press conference specifically to discuss the ongoing crisis. As you can see from those signs, they were very excited to have Kamala Harris in their country and uh, also shows how popular President Trump was. You know, and you talk about, you know, they they try and say, oh, well, you know, anti-Hispanic. Well, there, there's, a, you know, there's people in that country. He was very popular in Central America, it turns out. So I saw her, um, I guess, at a joint press conference that she did over there with the Guatemalan. I don't know if it's president or pro- I, I don't know who he who it was. It was the president. President. Yeah. So they get done. And this guy leans over to the vice president of the United States, who's fully vaccinated, by the way. And tells her to don't forget to put your mask on. And what does she do? Oh, she runs back to the podium and puts it on. I would have said, hey, buddy, what do you think Trump would have said? <laughs> Just uh, mind your own business there, pal. And don't tell me what to do. But no, no, there she goes. Oh, well, yes, sir. Okay, okay. And she puts her mask back on. Weak, weak. Just total weakness. That's all the, the world sees right now on every stage from Biden to her. It's just weak. Hi, right, more news, more sports, and someone we need to start paying attention to, and I've been on them for a little bit now. be 30 minutes past the hour rick delgado's got news rick amorati's got sports coming up geo fran holding it down as always 
Glad you're in on a Monday, start of the new week. As we're, uh, man, a week into June already. It's going so fast. This <laughs> is unbelievable. Um, so, you know, I remember back, I guess it was, what, 2004, when Obama gave that speech at the Democratic National Convention. And all the talk was about this young, up-and-coming, very articulate <clears throat> African-American Democrat. Um, I, I guess at the time, was he even a senator then, or he was just still a state senator um, from Illinois? I don't remember. In 2004? He may have been senator. He yeah. was a senator. He okay. just, I think he had just taken office as a senator. There was all kinds of talk about it. Well, I get the same feelings when I listen to the lieutenant governor of North Carolina. Man, I mean, he is... I've heard him speak before. I've mentioned him on the show before. But obviously, President Trump was in North Carolina, so the lieutenant governor spoke... Um, I actually think he spoke the night before at this you know weekend event that they had. And... Um, Man, I think we got to start paying. I think we got to start really paying attention to Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, because every time I hear him speak, I think to myself, "Well, this is this is the kind of leadership the GOP needs." So I've got some clips of his speech that I want you to hear. But first, we have an interview that our own Heather Mullins did with him. This is actually after his speech. But I, so I want to start with the interview because he talks about the future of the GOP. And by the way, we need more people like him uh, would be a, a good start. And he also talks about the importance of faith in America. So here's Heather Mullins with the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson. Roll that, she. Heather Mullins with Real America's Voice. We are in North Carolina, Greenville at the North Carolina GOP convention. And I have with me a big popular person in the house tonight, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. You had the crowd on their feet. You're a huge inspiration to a lot of people here in North Carolina. Uh, what is your message to the people not in this room? The people we heard several uh, speakers tonight talking about growing the Republican Party. What is your message to those people? Uh, well, I think my message to those people would be that, uh, you know, that uh, the freedoms that we have in this country are in peril. And it is time that if you want to hold on to those freedoms, that you need to come join us. You need to get involved in this process. And I believe that if you love freedom, uh, there's no other party that you can choose but the Republican Party. And uh, we just encourage them to come on out and join us and get active and get involved uh, to save this nation. And now you told your story of basically living the American dream, going from, from the bottom and, and to where you're at now as the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina. Now for people that are, you know, in that position where the left's telling them that isn't there anymore, how do you, what, how do you tell them, like, what was your source of inspiration? What drove you and, and what can other people learn from you to take that same path upward? My, my source of inspiration uh, is to look at people who have come before me and see what they've done. There have been people who faced far more difficult circumstances than I have. Not only did they have to deal with maybe poverty and alcoholism and the things that I dealt with, but they also had to deal with an ext uh, you know with, with extreme bigotry, bigotry that you know that has been erased from this country for the most part. Uh, and uh, they dealt with that, and a lot of those people not only survived, they thrived. And I know that if they could do that under their circumstances and other folks could do it under the circumstances they lived under, then uh, we can do definitely do that now. And so the, the people who come before us is the ones I always draw inspiration on. 
Absolutely. And as far as your faith, that was like some, you talked about that a lot too. Um, what we're seeing in America, you know, the pushback from the left on people with religious beliefs and things of that nature. How do we grow that in that area? Well, you know, I think it's just time that we really take a good hard look and look at some of the miraculous things that have happened in this nation. You know, there have been wars that we've won that we shouldn't have won. There have been times in this nation that seemed dark and hopeless, and it turned around when the, this nation turned uh, to God and fell down on its knees and prayed for his guidance and prayed for his support and his wisdom. And uh, once they once they got that, uh, they, you know, this nation did survive. It's what we've always relied on in, on, in this nation, and I think we need to remember that, and we need to remember the fact that God, if he, we make God the head of our lives, he can lead us through any difficulty we, that we see. And I think once we do that, more people will start to Amen. To amen. Amen. And so for you, your future political aspirations, I know you had a, a red cloth up there. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Well, you know, it's just uh, that that red cloth, that, that towel is a, a further affirmation of my commitment to this state, to the state of North Carolina. You know, there was a time when some folks were wanting me to run for the Senate and go off to Washington, D.C. But we truly feel like our calling is right here in this state for the people of this state. And uh, that is just a symbol of how, you know, just saying we're here, we're going to stay, we're going to continue to fight for the people of North Carolina. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one last thing here. Uh, what do you think President Trump is going to say when he addresses North Carolinas tomorrow? I have no idea, but every time I've heard him, he's been magnificent and I have no doubt that tomorrow will be the exact same. Oh, well, he's got some big shoes to follow up because you were a rock star tonight. Super happy to have him here. Mark Robinson, Lieutenant Governor of <coughs> North Carolina. He's amazing. You got to check this guy out. Yeah, so that's a great interview with him. And um, I hear what he's saying there about North, being dedicated to North Carolina. But I'll tell you something. When you, when, you, when you inspire like he can, when you hear some of these clips I'm going to play for you, when you, when you have that, you, when you listen to him, you just can, I don't know what to, I, I, you can just feel his soul. You can just feel his inspiration. You can just feel his love of history, love of country. And it just comes through when he speaks. Um, he's very inspiring. He's very inspiring. So I, I hear what he's saying about being dedicated to North Carolina, but I hope over time that maybe he feels like he's done what he can there and he has bigger aspirations because he's the kind of, at least from listening to him talk, I mean, I'm I, not into every single policy that he's, you know, a lot of that matters too, but just from getting getting the message well he's pretty good all right well you know what and i was looking into some of his background he's the ninth of 10 children he's lived in foster care with his siblings part of his childhood served the u.s military in the army reserve you know he started out working in a factory for furniture he put himself through uh through university of north carolina greensboro studying history and from there he just it, it, basically he 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 beat out all the odds that were set, stacked against him. I mean, when you when you start out, you know, ninth of ten kids and living in foster care, your prospects probably aren't too great. But this guy is, uh, you know, showing again why this country is the way it is. Where you can go if you if you if you want to achieve something, yeah, you ha you have the opportunity. The opportunity it affords you exactly is like no other place in the world. So a couple of things he addressed. Uh, number one, folks who stay silent because they don't want trouble uh, living in this world uh, that today and what we're up against with the Democratic Party. Roll that, G. See, we've allowed freedom to move into lunacy. We've allowed freedom to move into absolute lunacy. 
The only way to stop it is to stand up and be courageous and say something about it. Not going to lay down and capitulate while this foolishness goes on. It's been too much, too much sacrifice and service in our past for us to be the generation that says, well, you know, I don't want them to say something bad about me. I don't want them to call me a homophobe and a bigot. So I'm going to just keep my mouth closed because I don't want no trouble. Imagine where you would be if somebody else didn't want no trouble. Imagine where this nation would have been if the men at Bunker Hill didn't want no trouble. They want to just stay in the house and say, you know, I know the British are here to get our guns. Let them have them because I don't want no trouble. I just want to go out here and plant my farm and, you know, do my blacksmithing and, 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 and do my preaching. I don't want no trouble. I don't want no trouble. Let them have it. I don't want no trouble. Imagine what it would have been like when the... Uh, when the Democrats, and yeah, I call them the Democrats, decided they were going to make their own nation because they didn't like our Constitution. Does that sound familiar to you? Imagine what it would have been like if Americans had said, well, no, I ain't going to do nothing about that because I don't want no trouble. I don't want them saying I'm a, you know, that I'm a Negro lover and I don't want nobody saying nothing about me. Imagine if the men at Gettysburg hadn't been there and Fredericksburg hadn't been there. Imagine what would have happened, my God, if when the Japanese had come here and bombed Pearl Harbor, if Americans had cowered and said, no, we can't go to war. Remember what happened the last time we go, went to war? We got all them letters on the doors and all them boys came home under flags and, and they were buried across the sea and never came back. We don't want no more trouble like that. Just let them have it. Let them have what they want to do. We got to deal with them. Not, no, we don't want no trouble. Imagine what would have happened if we had just watched the communists continue to take nation after nation and hadn't stood up in Korea because we didn't want any trouble. Hadn't stood up in Vietnam because we didn't want any trouble. Hadn't stood up during the Gulf War because we didn't want any trouble. And hadn't stood up after 9-11 because we didn't want any trouble. See, trouble is good. Trouble is good. Yeah, it is. It's good. Sometimes it's good to run dead into it. Because when freedom is at hand, when freedom is being threatened, it's a call. It's a call to run towards trouble. <laughs> wow. Wow. Come on, how good is that? <laughs> wow. He's impressive, Big D. That, I like that's, him, man. That's good stuff. Yeah. You know, that, and that's, that's truth. And, you know, people sometimes, they don't like hearing that truth. But he's right about, you know, the trouble. You know, and, and that reflects a lot what's going on today when you, when you see, well, you know, people are rioting in Portland. Ah, just let them have it. We, because the other people that live there don't want any trouble. Well, guess what? After a while, that's all you're going to get is trouble. And if you don't deal with it, it's going to keep growing and growing. All right, one more quick one here. Cut four, G, uh, America's Foundation. that. This country needs to be reminded every day of why, of how it got here. How we got here. We didn't get here by happenstance. We didn't get here by accident. We didn't get here because some weirdo professor from UNC with a tackle box on his face wrote, wrote a fantastic paper about feminist dance theory and enlightened everybody and bam, the United States of America. <laughs> That is not how it happened. This nation only became what it is through words like faith, sacrifice, 
service. That's how this nation became what it is. And that's how this nation will stay great and continue to be great into the future. When you talk about those words, you talk about faith. There is no party in this country that exudes faith like the party that we call the grand old party. No party. You see, the principles that we believe in. Now, notice I said a word here, a key word here. The principles that we believe in, not the ideas, the principles. You see, a principle is a time-honored tradition and when put into place, yields a desired result. We believe in principles. The principles that we believe in, the very first one of those is faith. We believe in those words in our founding documents, that our rights come from the Almighty, that they come from our Creator. That if anything is to get done in our lives, if anything is to get done in our homes, if anything is to get done in our communities and in our states and in our nation, it only comes through a willingness to understand that God is first and He is the head, He is the leader, and that His word is sovereign. And that his wisdom should guide our lives. We know that that's the only way to build those things. Ourselves, our homes, our communities, our state, our nation. And I didn't even go to church yesterday. Now I feel like I didn't miss anything. Oh, exactly. man. <laughs> I just watched him. Come on. Where's that church? Sign me up. <laughs> All right, sports. When we get back, live from Studio 6B on a Monday. Glad you're in. Live from Studio 6B on Real America's Voice on a Monday night as we are quickly approaching Rick Amarati Sports. Rick, what is going on? I know the uh, the Islander game is oh. in full uh, full swing, right? What's going on? Fantastic game in the TD Garden up in Boston. 17,400 strong screaming, mostly for the Bruins. But the Islanders right now are taking it to them. They were up 5-2, to two, although Boston just scored to make it 5-3 right now. There's about 11 minutes to go in the third period regulation. Uh, Pasternak with two goals for Boston. Barzell, Palmieri, Bailey, Eberle, and Nelson. The Islanders have scored three power play goals. Uh, so, great game. We'll keep an eye on the finish. Probably by next segment, we'll have a wrap on that. Uh, that series is tied 2-2. Pivotal game five, again, up in Boston. And uh, another big game, um, Atlanta, I mean, actually, uh, Montreal is up 2-0 over the Winnipeg Jets. That's, uh, Montreal leads that series 3-0. They're looking to close it out. Uh, the Canadians, uh, another team that's really looking good, and that game is in Montreal. So we'll have an update on that as well in the next segment. And the Brooklyn Nets really look like world beaters. I tell you, they're a huge team in the East. Uh, like you said earlier, Rick, we were talking offset. You said they're an all-star team. Well, that all-star team is up 65-41 in Milwaukee over the Bucks. Uh, you know, Kevin Durant with 21 for the Nets. And, boy, they look strong. They took game one on uh, on Saturday. And uh, now they're looking to take a two-game lead on the road before they head back to Brooklyn. So, uh, Nets are looking strong. Uh, and then we have another game, the uh, 
Clippers and the uh, Jazz. That's tomorrow night at ten. Um, and uh, like I said, the only game tonight in action right now is the uh, is the, the game with the Nets and the Bucks. And then the Nuggets visit the Suns out in Phoenix. That's also a ten p.m. tip. So, uh, like I said, conference semifinals. Sixes yesterday lost to Atlanta. Trey Young world beater with thirty five points and uh, Sixes trail that series one zip. But uh, hey, NBA action heating up. So when fun. um. When your Sixers lose, are you miserable the rest of the day? Can people talk to you? Or are you not a, even approachable? I go into severe depression. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Full disclosure. I uh, yeah. I, I don't do well when the Sixers, Islanders, Cowboys lose, or even the Reds. But I'm used to the Reds how, losing. How could you not do well? Look at that hat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, I'm getting a lot of compliments. <laughs> Major League Baseball, Red Sox 5-2 over the Marlins. That's in the ninth. Royals visit the Angels and Cubs at the Padres, 9-38 and 10-10 respectively. Light night, just three games in action in Major League Baseball. All 30 will be back on the Diamonds tomorrow night. Hey, and- Slick Rick, my sister just texted me. She said she wants your jacket. <laughs> she needs your jacket, she said. Anytime she wants to borrow a big D, okay. I'll send it up to her. All right, I'm going to let her know right All now. right, you got it. I got the pants to match, too, if she's interested. He um, said anytime you want it, you can have it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything for you guys. Hey, the Memorial Tournament presented by Nationwide, Muirfield Village Golf Club, Dublin, Ohio. Good one yesterday, big D. Can't lay wins a playoff at Memorial on Sunday without Rom. This is an AP oh, report. That's Ter- a, that's, terrible. That's, that is this story about Rom getting ripped off like this, I mean, I, I don't know. I have such hard feelings about it. I get the rules, and I get that he tested positive after testing negative every single day. But come on. How ridiculous. But anyway, Dublin, Ohio. The emotion and intensity felt the same to Patrick Cantley, whether it was his clutch 25-foot birdie putt to tie for the lead or his 12-foot par putt in a Memorial playoff that made him a winner again Sunday in the Memorial. The handshake with Jack Nicholas's, as special as it was two years ago, yeah, that was, far, uh, that was far from as normalcy was allowed to go at the tournament. That was as much about the guy who won as the guy who didn't play. Plenty of drama, a little rain, no sign of John Rahm. <laughs> Some 24 hours earlier, as Rahm pulled away with a 64 to build a six-shot lead, Cantlay already was trying to figure out how he would need to score to have a chance. And then Rahm was told off the 18th green Saturday evening that his COVID-19 test came back positive, knocking him out of the tournament. He was so upset. He he actually yelled again. He just couldn't believe it. And uh, you know, Cantley said, "I would much rather have faced him down today and shot an extremely low round and beat him that way." Really put a damper. Besides the rain, really put a damper on that tournament. Big D. Terrible, just terrible. If you happen to catch that highlight of Rom, you really your heart went out to the guy because he was on track to really knock him dead. That he was going to tie tie. He was in tie with Tiger Woods for uh, one of the best yeah. scores ever. He had a six shot lead. He would have won one point six million. It would have been sponsorships. It would have been all kind. He's the uh, defending champ of that tournament too. It's incredible. No, incredible. no symptoms, no nothing, and they're this this test out of nowhere just comes up positive. Uh, it's just there's got to be. A, I, mean, I don't know. And especially with all the, the false positives out there, they couldn't just do it again and be like, you know what, keep playing. We're going to take another look at this. Exactly. I mean, who's – Unbelievable. I don't know. He's outside playing golf. <laughs> I know. I mean, Jesus. Come on. Social distance is caddy. Hey, six feet, six feet. Let me hit this. I know. It's ridiculous. It was like tennis. They were worried about social distancing. Remember yeah. Nassau County with the tennis? Yeah. They wanted yeah. to wear masks. <laughs> yeah, everybody bring your own balls. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. okay. Back I, to the uh, Rick, by the way, my sister says now she needs the hat, too, and the shirt. <laughs> 
Okay. So you okay. should check out the shoes. Just what size thing. shoes does she wear? Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Is she going right. as Rick Amorati for uh, well, for Halloween? The seventies <laughs> night at the disco or something? Maybe I'm not sure. All right. I'll take it. Hey, Old Fort Rodeo. Let's go. Fort Smith, Arkansas, Harper Stadium. And uh, these are just a couple of finals. I had a few that were final on Friday night. But Steer Wrestling, Ty Erickson, three and a half second. Good score. Team Roping, Lightning Aguilera and Shea Dixon Carroll, 3.6 seconds. Tie Down Roping, Haven Meggett, 8.0 seconds. He's a good one. I always hear him. And Barrel Racing, Jordan Briggs in 16.44 seconds. She took home 3100 bucks. And the 153rd running of the Belmont Stakes on Saturday. Essential quality wins it all. Uh, this is an ESPN News Service report. Brad Cox picked up his first Triple Crown with the win of Essential Quality's romp to victory in the Belmont Stakes on Saturday while waiting to see if he'll be awarded another from the Kentucky Derby. Cox would be a Derby winner with Mandalore if Bob Baffert trained Medina Spirit is disqualified. But Cox was able to enjoy this one with essential quality beating Hot Rod Charlie by one and a quarter lengths. Essential quality who went off as the 6-5 favorite passed early leader Hot Rod Charlie around the final turn and held on to win the $1 million race over one and a half miles. He paid four sixty to win, three plays to sh- Three to place and two sixty to show. So not a big ticket, big D, but uh, hey, great horse, essential quality. And uh, NASCAR on Sunday, Toyota Save Smart three fifty at the Sonoma Raceway. Kyle Larson beats Chase Elliott in OT. At Sonoma, Hendrick continues month of dominance. That's Hendrick teams, uh, uh, team racing. Asso- Associated Press report from Sonoma, California. Kyle Lawson first visited Sonoma Raceway as a young kid, dressed head to toe in Jeff Gordon gear. NASCAR practice from the hillside on Saturday afternoon. Now he's a cup winner at what is considered the Elk Grove uh, races home track, but his victory lane celebration Sunday was a disaster. Lawson tried to recreate a 2014 photo of himself spitting wine into the air at a lower level win, but it was far windier after the big league's victory, and when Lawson splayed his mouthful from the oversight chalice, the red wine splashed all over the new track president. I blew it, Lawson said. It was a windy, and I feel super bad. It was the only thing Lawson did wrong all day. Lawson beat teammate Chase Elliott in overtime to win his second second race, third of the season, and help Hendrick Motorsports continue its month-long dominance. Unbelievable. And just one more big D, Alabama. I got a lot of Tide fans out there. Extends the contract of Nick Saban through 2028. This just broke about three hours ago. Alabama has extended the contract of head coach Nick Saban through the 2028 football season. The new deal was announced by the university earlier today. It adds three seasons to his agreement, making an eight-year contract in all. The updated contract extends through February 28th, 2029, when Saban will be 77 years old. Saban turns 70 on October 31st. Speaking of Halloween, Saban 69 has coached the Crimson Tide to six national championships. During his tenure in Tuscaloosa, the 2021 season will be his 15th season with the program. Alabama won the college football playoff national championship last year, completing a perfect 13-0 season by beating Ohio State. So, roll tide for a long time. Great coach, great team, good stuff. That's a wrap in sports, Big D. We'll have a report on that Islanders game later. Bunch of good emails. Just one here from, um, I don't, is this from uh, G? I don't, it says, just says G. He says, Big D. Why would communists acknowledge D-Day? Members of this administration are the dumbest asses we've ever had in office. They don't even realize it was because of D-Day and the likes of that. That's what made it possible for them to be where they are today. But I guess it's a bad joke for all patriots that the communists uh, occupy the White House today, not for long. All right, hour 
two coming up live from Studio 6B on a Monday. Glad you're in. From Studio 6B, Hour 2, 9 o'clock on the East Coast, Real America's Voice, Dish Network Channel 219, Pluto TV Channel 240, and of course, um, Samsung, right? TV Plus. Samsung TV Plus. God, I am getting so old. It's ridiculous. Channel 1029. Channel 1029, Samsung TV Plus. Tremendous response in week one from the viewers in Samsung. Glad you're in as well. So today is 676 well, no. No. <laughs> it's 6721. 21, right. Okay. But on 6766, one um, Harry Oates was born. Hey. Happy so happy birthday. big birthday to one, is. the one and only Harry Oates today. That's the sexy Harry Oates right there. Yes, there he is in his convertible that he doesn't have anymore. <laughs> Drove about four times and got rid of it. Um, happy birthday, Harry. Happy birthday, Harry. Harry is, um, well, he's home. He's doing good. Talked to him this morning, recovering. Um, a little episode he had, a, a little something he had to take care of, and he did. And he feels good, and he'll be back uh, rocking and rolling here soon. So happy birthday to uh, one Harry Oates, who's been with me. We've been together since 2007, and he's been on this show and a part of the show, huge part of the show, since, since the first day. It's almost time to renew your vows. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you know, Gio, I'm going to come in there. Oh, we're not going to renew our vows, as I'll tell you that. <laughs> Since 2015. So, happy birthday to Harry Oates today. Of course, I talked to Harry this morning. You think I would have remembered it was his birthday? Of course not. <laughs> I wish him a happy He was probably waiting. He was like, yeah. is he going to say it? Is he going to say it? Say it, Of course Damon. he was. I, I texted him. It's the same day as Prince, so I always remember. Well, Gio actually reminded me. I should, I should be truthful. Gio actually said it's Harry's birthday. I'm like, I forgot. Yeah. No, I talked to him this morning. How you feeling? What are you doing? No, no, no happy birthday. No idea. No idea. It's 99 degrees outside. I was sweating. So. Oh, you were outside when you called? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right. Hour two. More Mark Robinson, who from the emails coming in, people are people are with me here. This guy is fantastic. And again, he's the lieutenant governor, right? Lieutenant governor. Yeah. And, and but right now, North Carolina has a Democrat. I think it's Cooper. Is it right? Isn't it Cooper? Yeah. And, the, and the people hate him. Which, which is which is strange that they have you know you can have a different party as governor and lieutenant governor. Because I guess there's separate offices that are voted in. It's not the governor. You know, they don't run as a ticket down there. Yeah, well, North Carolina would be in much better shape if this guy was your governor. I can tell you that. Maybe someday he will be. Maybe someday he'll run for higher office. I know in that clip he said, no, he's dedicated to North Carolina, and that's fine. But, I mean, he's – I got more clips. I, I have one that I'm, I'm shocked it hasn't gone 
Real well, I guess I'm not shocked. It's Republican. Um, really gone viral. It's just fantastic. Um, we'll get to that here in a second, but let's do some news right now to start hour two. And here with that is, um, what's your name? Uh, Rick uh, Delgado. I'm here. Uh, yeah. Turns out uh, this next these next two people are not fantastic. We're talking about First Lady and Fauci. Uh, they were booed by protesters. Seems to be a running theme with the Democrats lately. Booed by protesters on upon arrival at a Harlem vaccination center. Um, <laughs> they were greeted with yelling and boos yesterday as they arrived in Harlem, New York, at a vaccination site. They were they were peppered with a small group of spectators yelling, "Fire Fauci! Fire Fauci! Fire Fauci!" As the White House motorcade arrived. Fauci, you got your talking points from the CCP, one, one protester said, referring to the ruling Chinese Communist Party in China. This was in uh, New York? This was in New York City yesterday, yes. This story from Just the News. Fauci, the country's top infectious disease scientist and a White House advisor in COVID-19, has been criticized throughout the pandemic for giving changing guidance uh, over his uh, safety practice over the course of the roughly now 14-month pandemic. Recently published emails show a constant shift in his science-backed advice as well. Biden and Fauci toured the uh, Abyssinian, I believe I'm mispronouncing that, Baptist Church, a historic Harlem church that has served as a vaccination site since January for the minority community. They spoke with patients and spectators inside the building, including a 14-year-old boy who was hesitantly receiving the jab. Um, Jill Biden said, you're 14, so you're exactly who we're going for. This was her quote. We definitely want people 12 and over to get vaccinated as they push the kids to get inoculated uh, ages 12 and up. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention has said mask wearing is no longer needed for people who have received the vaccine. However, the first lady and Fauci each wore a mask while at the site and in public. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> kind of. it's a little, little funny when you hear this was in Harlem in New York that they're booed, but... I mean, on, on face value, why would anybody, and most of all the African-American community, support any of these frauds? Nothing they do benefits them. No. Nothing. Higher taxes doesn't benefit them. Less law enforcement doesn't benefit them. None of these policies benefit them or their communities. And, and I, I go back to even when Diamond and Silk first started coming on this show, one of the first things they said was, well, you know, we just... We voted Democrat because just that's just what we were brought up thinking we had to do. But with Trump getting more African-American votes, more Latino, Mexican, um, well, you go through all the demographics of the voting in the last election, he got higher percentages with all of these groups. Uh, you would have to figure that that kind of thinking has got to be out the window at this point. Why would any of them support? Why would anybody, period, by the way? if you be- you know, Let me tell you who was not um, let me tell you who went somewhere and was not greeted with booze. That would be the governor of Florida who went to this country music festival concert that they had in Florida with about 60,000 people there, all unmasked, enjoying themselves. And he was greeted as if he was Blake Shelton when he walked out to the stage. Like an absolute rock star. And it just turns out that actually people uh, enjoy living in freedom. And enjoy making decisions for themselves. And enjoy getting the government the hell out of their lives. 
And I think at everybody's core, that's, that's still true. Well, you can't argue with the, uh, the 60,000 plus. I saw pictures from that. It was amazing. And you're right. He, he, you know, some of the angled shots and, and the way the lighting was, he looked like he was coming out to do a set or at least one song. Yeah, it looked like Garth Brooks just took the stage with, yeah. the, with, the, yeah. with the ovation. He said, you know, here in Florida, we chose freedom over Fauciism. And the crowd went nuts. I know, I know it's the home crowd there in Florida. Mostly people probably from Florida, but who knows? I think a lot of people are going to Florida because of this. By the way, I think a lot of Democrats are going to Florida, and they just won't say why. Right. And I think but a lot- in the end, people, in the end, people like their freedoms. And maybe this has shown that you can't take them for granted, because once they disappear, it's hard to get them back. Yeah. And a lot of them voted, you know, for DeSantis and for Trump, and they won't tell you. So just keep that in mind. Uh, Let's see. The Supreme Court. Hey, one for the good guys. Uh, The Supreme Court today actually unanimously decided that immigrants who have temporary protective status cannot apply for a green card to become a permanent resident if they entered the country illegally. Yeah. Liz Warren's having a bad day. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. The decision affects an estimated 320,000 foreign nationals now living in the U.S. who are protected by TPS. The program gives foreign nationals the privilege to stay in the U.S. U.S. legally if they are unable to return to their home country due to war, civil unrest, or national disaster, or natural disaster, I should say. The TPS program gives foreign nationals non-immigrant status, but it does not admit them. So the conferral, the conferral of TPS does not make an unlawful entrant eligible for a green card, Justice Elena Kagan wrote for the court opinion, according to the Associated Press. Yeah, 9-0. Liz Warren's complete attempt at subversion of our immigration law. Nine nothing. Yeah, the case was brought to the court by Jose Santos Sanchez, an immigrant from El Salvador who entered the U.S. illegally in 93. He was granted TPS in 2001 and attempted to apply for a green card in 2014, but was deemed ineligible due to his illegally entering the country. It went through a couple different courts. It ended up in the Supreme Court, and as you can hear, nine nothing. So there you have it. That's uh, that's a big win, nine nothing. When you can get Supreme Court like that on something that's uh, that's uh, you know kind of a an emotional issue for the left, that's that's a great uh, outcome. Georgia. Well, well, you know the thing is that I mean <clears throat> we've said this before. Think about the court in recent times. Things that should be um, nine nothing or five four. Right. Th- you know. Um, so it's nice to see something that should have been nine nothing be nine nothing. Right. Now, I was going to talk about Georgia, but I think this this one is a little bit bigger, so we'll go to Joe Manchin first, because he voted against the bill federalizing elections, dealing a major blow to the Democrats. This is uh, another bad day for uh, Liz Warren and her friends there. As he, they, they, they haven't voted yet. He says he's going right. to He vote. declared on Sunday he will oppose his party's legislation to federalize how elections are conducted, dealing a severe blow to the Democratic passage, passage of the evenly divided Senate. The For the People Act would be among the things to ban voter ID requirements, mandate mail-in voting options, and begin registering voters at age 16. It has faced uniform Republican 
opposition. In an op-ed published in the Charlotte Gazette Mail, uh, Manchin declared the bill as too partisan and divisive. He also revealed he would not support eliminating the filibuster that requires 60 votes to consider most pieces of legislation in the Senate. And on that point, he is joining a second Democrat, Kristen Sinema, out of Arizona. He said, and I quote, I believe the partisan voting legislation will destroy the already weakened binds of our democracy. And for that reason, I will vote against the For the People Act, Manchin wrote. And he also laid to rest, by the way, the, the possibility of just like cinema I played for you Friday before we got off the air, um, ending the filibuster. He would he would not support that as well. Right. So, so far, and, and and I was a skeptic of these two, and I've said all along, if we're, if we're putting our faith in Cinnamon Mansion to to hold on to the Republic here, it scares me a little bit. But so far, so far, fingers crossed. So far, so good. Well, I, I think they realize their uh, their constituents. Maybe they're reaching out to them saying, hey, you better vote this way. We're counting on you. Uh, maybe they're starting to listen to them. Know that, you know what, it's not, a, it's, it's not a political thing that they're doing. They need to do it for the people that voted them into office. Um, this one, a quick one just before break here. You ever hear of Tom McDonald? Uh, no, just Ronald. All right. He's a Canadian singer, songwriter, and rapper, and he has hit the top of iTunes download chart with a call a song called Snowflake, which mocks what uh, he considers the world's increasingly oversensitive cultures and the governments that enable them. He, he tweeted out, I woke up to see Snowflake still number one on the charts. Songs like this aren't supposed to be at the top of the charts. They aren't supposed to be getting millions of views. Um, Oh, it jumped on me. They aren't supposed to win, but I guess there are still people out there who give a darn about the truth, he wrote. Um, in the song, he sings about, you, you think taking guns away will save our kids from the killings, but your pro-choice abortions kill, kill way more children, uh, which appears to be, of course, a white uh, right-wing viewpoint. You can see all of his videos. He's got a ton of videos. I actually uh, watched a bunch of them this afternoon. Interesting stuff. Interesting guy. Okay. A little more Mark Robinson, more news, more sports coming up when we get back. Live from Studio 6B on a Monday. Glad you're in Real America's Voice. We're back right after this. All right, 17 past the hour, live from Studio 6B on a Monday. Glad you're in. So what's the um, what's that story from the post I just gave you there, uh, uh, Rick? This one is interesting. Um, from the New York Post, Fauci email dump. We heard about that last week where all these emails have been uh, released, the uh, Freedom of Inf- Information Act. Well, part of that dump includes a sick... March Madness-style virus bracket, believe it or not. The Dr. Anthony Fauci email dump includes this puzzling image, a March Madness-style tournament bracket of fatal diseases in which the coronavirus emerges as the champion. The image is titled Dr. Fauci's March Madness Bracketology Picks. It's dated March 11th of 2020, signed Tony F. In the morbid pool, coronavirus top-seeded out of the East region, Kind of interesting. Defeats the field that included such dreaded diseases as Ebola, 
H1N1, or N1H1 if you're Joe Biden, uh, Zika, herpes, and the measles. Whether it was a weak attempt at gallows humor among Fauci and his friends or a published cartoon being forwarded, there it is. There's Fauci's pics. Um, it isn't clear, but the image did generate shock on social media. Gross one user tweeted, these people are sick. Another one said, during March Madness, the trademarked nickname of the NCAA annual basketball championship tournament. Uh, patrons and workers commonly engage in such low-stakes bracket pools. Uh, this image which was included in the 3,200 pages of emails published by BuzzFeed News. The website obtained the images through the Freedom of Information Act. It's not clear whether or not the bracket was sent to Fauci. The page does not include email headers or redaction marks. Uh, the page does, not, does include the apparent email signature of John T. Brooks of the Federal Center of Disease Control, as he was the chief medical officer at the CDC for COVID-19 response. Of course... When confronted, Brooks did not return a uh, voicemail message. The CDC and the uh, NIA ID, uh, which, of course, Fauci has directed since 1984, did not return requests for comments as well. And the NCAA, which is famously territorial over their March Madness trademark, also did not return requests for comments. So everybody's playing it hush-hush um, no. regarding this uh, this email, this description, this that was in this email. I have an article here from American Greatness that by by the second, the title starts to ring true with me even more and more. And it says, a serious country would jail Anthony Fauci. A false narrative was carefully crafted by the press to humanize a man who was at the time committing crimes against humanity for the apparent purpose of helping Democrats win an election. This is by T- uh, Peter D'Ambroska. And it's entitled, A Serious Country Would Jail Anthony Fauci. If I have time, I'll get to that. Uh, but let's, let's just circle back ha, 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 uh, <laughs> on um, Joe Manchin for a second. Because Saki okay. was asked about him, him today in the breast briefing room. Um, because, of course, the media is getting nervous. Because now we've got two big power grabs by the Democratic Party here. H.R. 1 and the filibuster for whatever else they want to try to ram through that look like, look like, fingers crossed, maybe DOA. Uh, so she was asked, so of course the media, oh, what are you going to do? Um, was asked about this today. Cut 12, G, roll that. It certainly seems like the president and Senator Manchin are sending messages to one another in the public. You had the president last week Mm -hmm. expressing some frustration about, you didn't name him, but senators in his party who vote with the other side. You have the op-ed from Senator Manchin uh, this weekend. Are these two men on the same page? Does the White House feel like it understands and knows what Senator Manchin wants out of this, particularly these infrastructure talks? Uh, and can you say when, uh, how often these two have been speaking with one another, if not in person by phone? Well, I can certainly tell you that the president and senior members of the administration are in close touch with Senator Manchin uh, and his team uh, about infrastructure and about a range of issues uh, where there is an opportunity work, to work together moving forward. I'll also note uh, that I'm pretty sure Senator Manchin is pretty proud of his independent streak. Uh, and he made clear he took no offense to the president's comments last week. And he also noted, I think, over the weekend that West Virginia doesn't usually get this much attention. So uh, maybe it's a, uh, you know, that's something he doesn't seem to mind too much. The president sees Senator Manchin as potentially an obstacle to his agenda. If he follows through on not backing changes to the filibuster, on uh, not 
wanting to pursue uh, infrastructure through reconciliation, that pretty much grounds the, the president's domestic agenda at this point. Well, we're certainly not ready to accept that uh, that analysis. I will say the president considers Senator Manchin a friend. Uh, he knows that they may disagree on some issues, as they do on uh, this particular piece of legislation. He's going to continue to work with him, reach out to him, engage with him directly, and through his staff on how we can work together moving forward. Yeah. So what? basically what she's saying there is we're going to have to find a way to get to this guy. Right. We got a strong arm. Of right. That's what she's saying. And and let me just be the first to tell you who's going to do that. This is why, again, I say if your hopes are in these two, and I know it's so far so good, but if your hopes are in these two sticking it out through the end, I still think you're, you're maybe overplaying your hand here that that's going to happen. Because here's who the next, if it gets down to it, here's the phone call they're going to get. And this is this is not an audio recording of the phone call, but this is an audio recording of the man who's going to make the phone call. And what he's describing here is why he's going to make the phone call and why he's going to be the ultimate strong, uh, strong arm 15 G roll it. If you're the average voter, you're kind of thinking, well, you know, looks like Republican policies are working for me to some degree, which probably explains why Trump was able to make some inroads modest overstated, but real inroads among non-white voters feeling like, you know what, I'm, I'm working and making decent money and things feel pretty good. So that clouds what I think would have been a more impactful shift in political views towards Democrats as a result of you know, my presidency. And I think that what we're seeing now, now listen. Is Joe Biden and the administration are essentially finishing the job. And I think it'll be an interesting test. You know, 90% of the folks who were there were there in my administration. They are continuing and building on the policies we talked about, whether it's the Affordable Care Act or our climate change agenda and, and the Paris Peace Accords and figuring out how, how do we improve the ladders to mobility through things like community colleges. And if, as I think they will be, they're successful over the next four years, I think that will have an impact. Mm -hmm. Gee, that's a perfect lead in here to our crazy town. The band is back together. Roll it. Really good news, folks. Great news. 31 million people are now covered by the Affordable Care Act. And I know someone who's going to really want to know that number is up as high as it is. But I got to call this fella. Mr. President. Hey, Mr. President, how you doing, pal? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. How you doing? Joe Biden, we did this together. We always talked about how if we could get the principle of universal coverage established, we could then build on it. And I just want to say how proud I am of what you've done now with the American Rescue Plan. And look how many times they tried to defeat your legislation. The ACA later known as Obamacare, which I take pride in. And I keep reminding people. The families that uh, have been able to care for their loved ones, be cured, have access to care, uh, that all makes it worthwhile. So I just want to thank your administration and all the folks who've been working on this for now building on it and continuing to expand it. If I had a dime for everyone who said to me, over the last two years campaigning and as you're president, an idiot <laughs> tell the You'd president be rich. meaning you i said <laughs> thank you 
It saved my life. It saved my. No, I mean it. That's good. That's because I had a good partner, and because <laughs> of what you've done, Joe. The special enrollment period is still open until August 15th. Healthcare.gov works like a charm these days. Mm. <laughs> Mr. President, thank you for doing what you're doing. Good pitch. I'm proud of you. Keep it up. We're going to get even more people covered in the years to come under your guidance. Love you, man. <laughs> under I'm still my gonna guidance. I'm going to call you for advice. <laughs> you being the f- See you, right, front man. guy. Bye bye. Yeah. There you go. That was terrible. That's what Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema have coming down the pike. They've got a former president coming out. from Studio 6B on Real America's Voice on a Monday night. Uh, welcoming you back, of course. We've got uh, more sports with Rick Amorati coming up. Uh, we'll continue on with the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina. we still got more to play from him in just a little bit. But I do have a little bit of news we'll get to right now. Turns out the, uh, and this is a strange story, but I'll jump right into it. The dollar stores are starting to offer fresh food after years of criticism. Yeah, dollar store chains are starting to offer fresh groceries at some stores after years of criticism that they don't provide enough healthy food options for their customers. Family Dollar has started selling apples, oranges, onions, potatoes, and other fruit and vegetables, and frozen poultry, pork, and beef at approximately 100 of its more than 7,000 stores as a way to get things started. It has more than 17,000 stores, and it it sees uh, putting produce departments in an additional 1,000 stores by by the end of 2021, and an opportunity to put more than more of them in more than 10,000 stores in the near future. Uh, they've faced growing, growing scrutiny from local lawmakers and advocacy, advocacy groups that say these companies do not contribute to supermarket closures, deter new grocers from opening, and failing to offer similar healthy food options for their customers. A handful of cities, including Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Birmingham, and New Orleans, have passed measures restricting dollar stores' growth for such reasons. So they're starting to offer some good food, better food for their customers. Um, I know, never knew they ordered food. I never knew they offered food, period. Well, you can always go in and get like, you know, uh, packaged, uh, you know, drinks and like bars and candies and cookies and stuff like that. But now they're they're reaching out and giving their uh, their customers a way to buy some fresh groceries They've at a good frozen price. stuff for a while too, like Hot Pockets and like all the terrible microwavable stuff. Right. So I never knew that. So there you go. N- not bad as, as that starts to unroll across the country. So good for them. And hopefully the, uh, you know, the people that, that uh, shop there often will start to see it and start to take advantage of it as a good thing to do. The Georgia Republican Party on Saturday approved the resolution to censure Brad Raffensperger, the Georgia Secretary of State, quote-unquote, failed to perform his duties in accordance with the laws and constitution of the state of Georgia and the Republican Party values, according to a version of the resolution posted on Twitter by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on Saturday. The resolution cited Raffensperger for entering into the Compromise Settlement Agreement and Release, which changed... Georgia's absentee voting procedures outside the constitutionality prescribed format set forth 
in Georgia law. The resolution said that Raffensperger had to undermine election security by permitting mass mailings of absentee ballot uh, applications by his office and third parties, which created opportunities for fraud and overwhelmed election offices, rendering accurate signature matching nearly impossible, allowing ballot drop boxes without proper chain of custody and ignoring sworn affidavits and disregarding evidence of voter fraud, unquote. Um, WSB TV reported that a statement from the Georgia Secretary of State's office said the Secretary of State's office, county election directors, and tens of thousands of poll walkers across the state worked to ensure democracy was upheld. It is the job of, of the counties to run the elections and Secretaries of State offices' job to report the election results. Uh, let's not confuse the two. But as you see, he's been censured. And uh, what does that actually mean? We'll see what happens, but it's nice to see that the uh, Georgia GOP has passed this resolution to censure him, and we'll, we'll hopefully see that it, it, some more will come out of this. So speaking of state legislatures and what happened in the past election, as we've talked about the constitutional issues with this past election in all these states, here's a question that's asked today in the briefing room by a supposed reporter. And now just listen, just listen to this question. Cut 14G, roll it. Counting the votes, yeah. uh, a number of the bills that have passed Republican legislatures and are pending before Republican legislatures take the voting and the counting of votes and the running of elections out of the hands of nonpartisan mm-hmm. officials and put them in the hands of Republican state legislatures. This is what uh, Donald oh, okay, Trump. Okay, so so wanted. stop. So 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 all so already. <laughs> He's already wrong. Already, there's this, this just mind-blowingly uh, stupid. I don't know who this is, where he's from, but I, this question, it doesn't take it. It doesn't take them out of anywhere and put them any. The state legislatures is where all the powers to, to for these elections lies in the Constitution. Currently, that's where it lies. That's where it should have lied through. That's where it should have been through all of this past election. We're trying to get it back to actually what the Constitution says. As we've talked about here, um, mind-numbingly stupid in the amount of times, Article uh, 4, Section 2, Clause 4, I believe it is. The state legislatures set the basic rules for, for voting. So this, I, I don't, it goes on from here, but just already 30 seconds in, well, it's, it, the thing is, it's not it's not even a question. He's making statements. So he's not asking a question. He's just he's just fluffing with statements because he wants to show, OK, here's where I am. Let's 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 uh, let's direct this narrative and make it seem like it's, there's something underhanded going on here. Like you said, it's not underhanded. It goes to the state legislatures, whether it's Republican or Democrat. Yeah. It ends up at the state legislature. They're the ones that have the power, you dolt. So start this over, G. So Whoa. here's the whole question. Go ahead. Counting the votes. Yeah. Uh, a number of some bills yeah. that have passed Republican legislatures and are pending before Republican legislatures take the voting and the counting of votes and the running of elections out of the hands of nonpartisan mm-hmm. officials and put them in the hands of Republican state legislatures. This is what uh, Donald Trump wanted done uh, during 
uh, the run-up to when Congress certified President Biden's victory. Uh, this is what a lot of scholars are saying Republicans uh, as a whole are preparing to do in the event Democrats uh, win close elections in 2022 and 2024. The Fort of the People Act does not address uh, the issue of counting the votes and rigging or ignoring the counting of votes if the Democrat wins. Uh, how much of a concern is this uh, to the president? And what, what's he going to do uh, to highlight this and uh, find a solution? Well, Andrew, it's a really important issue to raise. And as you've noted, um, there are pieces of, the of legislation <laughs> putting a federal oh, effort aside that are moving their way through state legislatures, which would make it uh, part a partisan in some scenarios, in some cases, uh, put the hands in the power of a partisan decision-making body or individual. And clearly that's concerning. Uh, what we noted in the announcement about the vice president's role is that her effort would be focused partially on federal legislation and moving that forward, seeing what Pat the path looks forward, looks like moving forward, but also working with voting rights groups, working with uh, state activists, working with others to uh, see how we can address these challenges. It is a priority. It is a focus. Um, and again, the president's fundamental view is that it should be easier to vote, not harder, uh, and that we should ensure that everybody knows their vote is counted. Would the president support Congress amending the Electoral Count Act? I, I'm happy to see if there's any specific p statement of administration policy we have on that particular piece. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So I'm just uh, pulling up here so I can read it to you again. And I love how the fact that he's like, well, you know, it's partisan. Well, yeah, there's the Republican side and there's the Democrat side. You don't think the Democrats, if they hold the state legislature, they're going to be partisan. This guy's a joke. He is a joke. Article 1, Section 4, the time, place, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives should be prescribed in each state by the legislature. Uh, but then, of course, there's the one the one that we spent more time on, which was, um still having a hard time finding it. But, but yeah, th this is one of the dumber questions I've ever, I mean, it just, <laughs> it totally takes the, um, the whole fact basis of why we're arguing and why, what the problems were in the last election. And just throws them out the window, doesn't it? It's like he starts from a whole new <laughs> level of stupid. <laughs> whole new level of stupid. Right. Yep. I'm going to start over here and uh, see if you can follow me, Jen. It's going to be a 58-second uh, wind-up before I actually get to the question part. That um, audio I played, by the way, of Obama, that, that, that's a scary audio. Yeah. Everybody who's in this administration, 98% of the people in administration were in my administration. He says there he's basically finishing the job, continuing the policy. All if you listen to what he actually says, you know it's just he sees this as absolutely. If it's, I mean, some would say he doesn't even see it. He's actually he's the one acting upon it. This is his third term. Yeah, Biden happens to be the front man, but it's really and that's that's he said that's what he wanted. He he said it. We're not making it up. It's his words. He said if he could sit in the basement just with a microphone and just hang out while somebody else is up there and he just tells them what to do and they do it, well, guess what? <laughs> it looks like it's happening. So Joe Manchin can expect a call from the former president sooner than later. And so can Kristen Cinema. And believe me, the pressure will be the pressure will be overwhelming for them to hold the line. Now, Saki can get out there, laugh and joke and smile and the mean, ha, ha, ha. 
Uh, I'm telling you, the pressure will be overwhelming when the former president gets on the phone with them. Saki was asked about Biden and Obama reuniting as if they haven't been reunited since they never left each other, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, here's what she said. Roll it, G. You mentioned the video of uh, President Obama and President Biden yeah. over the weekend. One of the remaining Supreme Court decisions we're waiting on deals with the Affordable Care Act. Can you t- talk about the White House's preparation uh, for that decision, what we would expect to hear from the White House uh, if they strike down uh, the former president's signature law? Certainly. Uh, we'll reunite it and it feels so good for, for the vice president and former president. Someone, someone gets this in here. Okay, um, so even a full room, no laughs. Okay, um, look, I will say that um, this is one of the roles funny. that uh, Nir Tandon, who has come in uh, uh, as a policy advisor, uh, is playing, is planning for what the contingencies are. As you well know, we don't know what day this is going to come out or what the outcome is going to look like. And what we are staying rooted in is our fundamental view, the fundamental view of the president and the vice president that uh, the American people deserve access to affordable health care. We should continue to uh, improve and build upon the Affordable Care Act. And uh, that's how we're planning for. Uh, but, you know, there's a range of options. I'm sure when we know the outcome, we can we can speak to that more directly. Yeah. So it's again, listen to what listen to what they say. Yeah. That audio clip of Obama should be raised the little hairs on your arm up because that's really what's going on. Well, that's deep state. That's, you know, and again, he said it. He said it a few months ago, just before the election, right? That uh, that was his wish. If he, if he could have a third term, that he wouldn't have to do much and let the other person sit up there, talk to the press, do all the other stuff while he just uh, hangs out and, you know, tells them what to do. So if that, yeah, again, that should scare you because yeah. that's exactly what's happening. All right. Anything else in the news here quickly? Uh, very quickly, uh, nothing that I could do quickly, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, I got a couple things to still to get to. Rand DeSant- uh, Ron DeSantis signed a bill today. A uh, good piece from Daniel Harwitz today about the CDC and some of the numbers you're seeing. And you saw some revamping of some of the numbers, specifically in California, which I'll get to. And then it's, I think it's time as someone, I forget who it was. Someone said, okay, now do the rest of the country so we can start to get a grasp on what the real numbers are. Uh, so we'll address that as well. I told you about that. There's a couple things on Fauci. Um, the one I told you about, a serious country would jail him. There's another piece. It's clear now Anthony Fauci isn't a fool. He's a villain. This is um, George, Georgie, Georgie Borman wrote for The Federalist. If I have time, I'll get to that. And then we'll talk about the former president one more time. And he, a new potential uh, running mate that I told you about already. Right, 13 to the hour, live from Studio 6B, time for sports. And here with that's Rick Emirati. What's going on, pal? All right, big day. Well, NHL action closing it out. The Islanders have defeated the Bruins 5-4 in Boston. The Islanders were outshot 44-19. However, Semyon Varlamov kept the Islanders in it. There was a big push at the end, but the uh, Islanders move on. They win the series 3-2, and we go back to the Coliseum for Game 6, where the Islanders will try to close it out. So, uh, Mr. Paul Nolan must be a very happy guy at this time. 
And uh, other playoff action, the Jets and Canadians. Well, the Jets have come back in Montreal to tie the game 2-2, and that's at the end of two periods. Good playoff action. And uh, speaking of playoff action, game two in uh, the, the the Bucks are just getting absolutely trounced by the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets are up 116 to 74. That's oh. 42 points. And that's what our they, they actually, they, they're, they're missing James Harden, who's arguably their best player. And Kevin Durant has 32 and Kyrie Irving has 22. And uh, wow, the Nets are going to be tough. I know D, you were saying that Milwaukee's not really a strong team this year. No. But uh, you know, I, I, I figure Giannis would have a little bit more to say than that, but they're getting bombed right now. And that's game one, not game two. They're already up one nothing. Uh, just one final in baseball. Red Sox 5-3 over the Marlins. And just underway first pitch in Anaheim, Angels and Royals. And then the Cubs go out to San Diego to take on the Padres at 10-10. Logan Paul goes the distance with Floyd Mayweather in exhibition match last night. This is from Mark Raimondi, ESPN staff writer. Miami Gardens, Florida. YouTube star turned prize fighter Logan Paul went the distance with Floyd Mayweather. All eight rounds on Sunday night in an entertaining exhibition boxing match at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Paul's coach, Milton LaCroix, told ESPN last month that success in this fight for Paul would be going the whole way, and that's what Paul did. He's better than I thought he was, Mayweather said of Paul. I was surprised by him tonight. Good work. Good little guy, quote-unquote. The exhibition was scheduled for eight three-minute rounds. Mayweather and Paul wore 10-ounce gloves. There were no judges and no official winner. Red, uh, red, uh, 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 no knockouts were, were indeed legal. Uh, ESPN scored about 78-74 for Mayweather. He landed 43 total punches to Paul. Paul's 28 per compu box. Of those 43 punches from Mayweather, 36 were power shots. Paul landed 21 power shots. Anyway, the bout was clearly a spectacle, a chance to attract Paul's younger Generation Z fan base to a bout with Mayweather, the biggest pay-per-view draw in the history of boxing. So uh, also, Chad Ocho Cinco, the old uh, NFL player, Cincinnati Bengal receiver, he survived a four-round fight even though he was knocked down in the in the fourth. Uh, he beat, well, he actually, there was no score on that fight, but uh, Brian Maxwell is a bad knuckle fighter who's 0-3. His professional record is 0-1 and his MMA record is 2-3. So I don't see, uh, you know, Johnson going up against one of the Charloff brothers for any future bouts. Yeah, no. <laughs> Um, and uh, Yuka Sasa wins U.S. Women's Open on third playoff hole. This is from the LPGA website. It's an AP report. The Olympic Club Lake Course in San Francisco, California. A very difficult course, I might add, for the ladies or for anybody. Uh, Sasso's 10-foot putt for birdie on the third playoff hole Sunday helped her edge out Naza Heitakawa, uh, Heitakawa uh, and become the second teenager to win the U.S. Women's Open. Sasso overcame uh, back-to-back double bogeys early in the first round to make the playoff and then become the first player from the Philippines to win a golf major. Sasso uh, matched 2008 winner NB Park as the youngest U.S. Women's Champion at 19 years, 13 months, and 17 days. So not even two decades old, and she won an LPGA tournament. I caught the end of that, and it was a fantastic match. Uh, and Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal advanced to play in French Open quarterfinals. AP report out of Paris. Uh, for two sets and more than two hours at the French Open earlier today, Novak Djokovic found himself being outplayed by a 19-year-old opponent from Italy, making his Grand Slam debut. After dropping a pair of tiebreakers, Djokovic 
suddenly went from a big deficit to his best tennis. He won 13 games in a row before Lorenzo Musetti stopped playing because of lower back pain and cramps while trailing 6-7, 6 So great win for Jokovic, out, outlasting the 20-year-old. But you can see a lot of these uh, young, older tennis players, you know, uh, Roger Federer pulled out yesterday uh, with, uh, with an issue with his back, and uh, he actually is going to skip the rest of the tournament. Uh, and also Serena Williams, she loses in straight sets to Alina Rubikina, uh in the fourth round yesterday. Uh, Serena turns 40, uh, and she lost to the young lady. Uh, you know, so yeah, another tough one for Serena. So, uh, you know, might be her last French Open, she did say, as she's kind of winding down her career. I think she's just trying to get that 24th slam to call it a day. Uh, and Rafael Nadal, another old, uh, an old, old one there. Uh, he's, uh, he's hanging in there. He beat a 19-year-old as well earlier today, uh, and uh, he, he moved on as well. So I think we might see a Jokovic-Nadal uh, fight. Uh, not fight, a match, I should say. So it should be great. Uh, and former Kansas City Chiefs assistant coach Britt Reed pleads not guilty in the crash. Uh, this is the uh, Britt Reed, the uh, son of um, Kansas City head coach... Uh, Andy Reid, uh, this was that accident that happened uh, right before the Super Bowl with that five-year-old young lady getting, getting hurt, and uh, obviously he was under the influence. So in any event, um, I'm going to wrap sports there, but uh, we'll keep an eye on that case as that continues to go on, and uh, that's a wrap, Big D. All right, thanks, uh, Rick. All right, uh, Mark Robinson, Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina. This video, I just posted it on our Facebook. If you want to see it, it's got to go viral. Roll it, G. The greatest example of that I saw and witnessed it firsthand on television was during 9-11. People running away from those burning buildings, running away in horror. We saw policemen and firemen running to those buildings, basically running to their deaths to go help others because they saw trouble and they knew that they were needed. That's got to be us in this day right here. We've got to run to the trouble, folks. And what is the trouble? The trouble is the Biden administration that is seeking to turn this country into a socialist hellhole. The trouble is Antifa that wants to roam the streets and beat you into submission. The trouble is Black Lives Matter that claims to care about the lives of black people but has turned a blind eye while violence in black communities are taking lives at a genocidal rate. They've turned a blind eye. That's where the trouble is, and that's what we've got to run to. And we've got all the right in the world on our side. And there ain't no reason to be afraid. And there ain't no reason to not take the challenge dead on. Because I'm going to tell you who we come from, folks. We don't come from some weak, jellyback, spineless people. That's not who we come from. None of us. And it doesn't matter what color you are, what nation your folks hail from, how much money you got. We all share the same name. We are Americans. And at Bunker Hill, there was Americans. And at Fredericksburg and Gettysburg, there was Americans. And at Iwo Jima, raising that flag on Sarabachi, it was Americans. And at Porkchop Hill, there was Americans. Quezon, there was Americans. And on 9-11, there was Americans who ran towards those burning buildings. That is who you share your heritage with. You do not share your heritage with a weak and ineffective people who cower at the sign of trouble. 
You share your heritage with a strong and brave people who are determined to hold on to their freedom and for the freedom of future generations. Guys, it's time for us to stand up and be that generation. It's time for us to stand strong and proud and remember who we are, that we are Christians, that we are Americans, that we are Republicans, and that we are conservatives. And as long as we stand as the vanguard of freedom in this nation, freedom will survive here. And not only survive, it will thrive. So guys, it's time to put on our packs. It's time to fix those bayonets. It's time to get ready. Because we got a fight on our hand. And our fight is not for us. It's for all those generations that's going to come behind us. Let's save America, folks. Because if there's to be freedom in this nation in the future, it is only going to become at the behest of the Republican Party, the grand old party, the party of freedom and equality, the one that always has been and the one that always will be. God bless you all. Thank you very much. God bless the great state of North Carolina and God bless the United States of America. Yeah, Thank you. God bless the wow. USA. Good way to end. Can you say Mark running Robinson. mate? <laughs> As always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines. Thanks, G. Thanks, Fran. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Rick. Most of all, thank you to live from Studio 6B audience. Paul's back tomorrow night. Islanders won. Yes. He'll be in a good mood. So will Rick. Yes. We'll see you tomorrow night, 8 p.m., live from Studio 6B. You'll see you then.